Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. Today, our managing editor, Brian Gorman, goes into the field and interviews leading change management professionals just like you, directly from the trenches of the work we do, to study perspectives for breakthroughs and aha moments that could make the difference for what you're working on today. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and this is part two of our podcast with Stephen W. May on the topic of trust. Stephen is a business leader and change agent with experience leading diverse teams across North America and Asia Pacific. He is co-creator and chief integrator of the change execution methodology for business transformation that is used by Fortune 500 companies. One of the contributing authors to Project Pain Reliever, a just-in-time handbook for anyone managing projects, and host of the Project Management Institute's global podcast series, Projectified with PMI. Stephen also just returned from the Philippines, where he presented and facilitated a session on trust for leaders from across Asia and the Middle East. Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure. Okay, so we're going to dive deeper into this thing called trust and um, really focus in on what does this mean for those of us who are change practitioners. So I'd like to begin by asking what is your message to leaders who tend not to be trusting? Uh, that one of the greatest prices that they will pay for their tendency not to trust is that they will inevitably diminish the trust that they can garner from others. And that has a, a downstream price that's incalculable. If they cannot be trusted, everything will move more slowly. Everything will require a greater level of due diligence, meaning every single thing that they put forward will require a greater level of due diligence. Uh, decisions that will, as I mentioned before, that will appear to have been made will often appear to be remade and remade. They will have an increased level of, uh, of anxiety in the organization. So, for example, whenever there's anything that people sense to be at risk, because I believe something that I uh, hold valuable, whether that's my reputation, whether that's opportunity, whether that's my income, whether that's uh, a cause or a mission that I care about, if I perceive that to be at risk and I'm in a situation where I lack trust in those that I believe are bringing or either bringing something to risk that risk uh, what I care about, or are putting forward an initiative, for example, that, that could potentially put that at risk, that if I don't trust them, my anxiety goes up and that then makes uh, everything harder. So I think the, so I don't mean to be overmaking the case, but I'm not sure you can. I'm not sure you can overmake the case. If, if leaders cannot trust and will not extend trust, to their peers, to those they uh, lead directly, to those further down the organization. There's a uh, ripple effect uh, through everything they're trying to accomplish that I think is, is nearly incalculable. When I've heard you speak about trust, you've sometimes used the phrase, the case for trust. Yeah. 
what do you mean by that? So in part, what I was just describing, you know, the idea that there is a, there's a tremendous price for uh, not trusting, and you may feel you have good reason, but not being able to extend in practical terms uh, trust to those that you lead and to those that you, you collaborate with and work with. And, but also, if you are not trusted, then the impact on you being able to achieve what you're trying to achieve, um, you know, I think is, is, is really significant. Now, I'm saying it all on the negative side. You know, if we, if we turn it around and say, well, if we're working in an environment where there is a high degree of trust, then that has the, the opposite effect. You know, where we know that trust increases speed, so the speed of decisions, the speed of basic progress moving forward, it releases a kind of energy in the organization where people's uh, mental energy, their focus, their physical energy is increased because they're, they're free to work and they're not bogged down by the anxiety of, uh, of lacking trust in their leadership and peers or, be, or having, uh, not having that extended to themselves. Uh, engagement increases, so people's uh, just commitment level and what they bring to the task, um, innovation, joy, you know, all, all things that make us more effective, both as individuals and as teams. There was a great quote uh, that I came across recently, Tom Hayes, who wrote uh, Jump Point, and I like the way he said this. He said, the existence of trust frees the human spirit to be creative, generous, and authentic instead of protective cynical and false and i think he uh he kind of sums it up so you know i i I, i've become convinced there are few things worth investing in uh in in any kind of an organization doesn't matter for-profit non-profit public private doesn't make any difference there are few things worth investing in the way trust is i i love that quote and i'm going to ask you to repeat it sure um because it it ties in very clearly with what neuroscience teaches us about trust and distrust. So the first part of the quote, if, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. Again, to give credit where credit's due, this was Tom Hayes, the author of Jump Point. He said, the existence of trust frees the human spirit to be creative, generous, and authentic. So what neuroscience has learned is that trust in fact resides in the prefrontal cortex of the brain yeah where rational thinking and all of those characteristics that you just described also reside Mm -hmm. and the second part of the quote yeah so it says instead of protective cynical and false and those behaviors and 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 attitudes reside in the reptilian brain which is the home of distrust. So um, I love his explanation a whole lot more than, than the neuroscience. Uh, but I like and, the consistency, though. <laughs> yeah, and, and the neuroscience <laughs> yeah. gives, gives us the consistency that uh, he's, he's right on point there. Yeah. Stephen, what is your advice to a practitioner who finds himself or herself serving an untrusted sponsor? So I, I think that the, you know, the advice stems first from a decision point, which is, which is to determine the why first. Uh, why is he or she distrusted? 
And if the determination is if, if that sponsor uh, lacks character, lacks integrity, and we know, you know, there's been, I mean, how many different research studies that have borne this out, but some have shown that if you, if you look for what people desire in those who lead them, that integrity is number one. Consistency in thought, words, and actions is number one. So if, if you find yourself serving a, a sponsor who is not trusted because he or she lacks integrity or lacks character, then you really need to find another project. I mean, that is, if someone has reached a, you know, a stage of their life where they're supposedly a fully formed adult, they're leading important things, but they lack character integrity, there's not a whole lot you can do to help them. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but if it's character problem, you know, run, or we'll talk about some options. But if, if you say, no, it's not that, it's, it's that they've perhaps, that he or she perhaps has stepped into a role where someone or a team before them had damaged trust in a way that, in a sense, the office is distrusted. So think about, you know, there are nations around the world that have had a series of untrustworthy governments. And because of that, a new government, a new leader, a new president, a new prime minister, a new monarch that may step in, will tend to be distrusted because they're sitting in that chair where so many distrusted people have sat before. So you may find that the person you're serving has simply stepped into a situation where, there is, uh, where, there's dis- where distrust has been earned and now they, they occupy that office. In that case, uh, then the most important thing you can begin to help him or her do right away is to make clear small commitments that that are that are specific in intent so we talked about you know we've mentioned before clear small commitments and keep them so there's nothing more important than for them to be clear about what they're going to do to be clear about why and then be entirely consistent in word and deed in delivering on those commitments nothing will build trust more strongly than that um so well, I'll pause there that's that's very helpful what happens when you give that counsel and it's not heard? Well, you know, the, the not heard from if they're simply not making those commitments, then things probably continue on in a, you know, a somewhat neutral state. So you, you haven't really earned their trust and you're not really doing anything to change that. If, on the other hand, not heard means that they continue to make commitments, whether those are are clearly stated or not, but, that, but it's obvious that they, uh, that they had made a commitment of some sort, if they continue to make those commitments but not live up to them, not show that their words and deeds following that are fully aligned with being committed to doing what they say they're going to do, then, uh, then they just dig the hole deeper. And, of course, we know that cynicism increases. We know, you know, one study recently demonstrated that uh, in an environment – that lacks trust, that the, the work is twice as expensive. You know, essentially what it takes to achieve an outcome will typically uh, be twice as expensive. And think about it, because it increases the checking, it increases the, the cycling, it increases the failure to, or should say decreases people's ability to take someone's word for something. Um, and as things churn, 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 you may eventually get an outcome, but, it's, uh, but you've made twice the investment to get there. 
So clearly, you've, you've made the case for the importance of trust as change practitioners. Where in your relationship building, at what point in your relationship building with leaders and sponsors, do you enter the conversation or do you not enter it unless you have to? You know, I, I try not to, personally, I try not to, as we sometimes say, wear it on my sleeve, you know, to make it the, the only thing or the first thing. What I like to do is, and, and I think this applies directly to anyone who is involved in it as a significant change agent role. And when I say that, I, I assume that if you're thinking of yourself primarily as a change agent, you are in service. It's often something that you did not define. You are in service to a leader or leaders that are trying to drive important changes forward. Um, so if, if I find myself coming in to support a leadership team or to support a senior executive, then one of the first things that I try to do is to, is to get around and have some really meaningful conversations. Some re- and, and one-on-one is, is, is often huge in these situations. But some really meaningful one-on-one conversations with major stakeholders. So these are uh, people who lead affected organizations, people who lead affected functions that are going to have to do important things to help uh, ensure that changes succeed, people that serve in key sponsor roles, and then on down and out from there, uh, people that, particularly those who lead people that are at the, sometimes we say kind of leaf level, so furthest down, furthest out, that are going to be affected by a change, and really start to, to just in the words they choose, in the examples they give, in the way they describe the environment, begin to understand, even without, and now formal tools can be extremely valuable in a situation like that, but even without applying a formal quantified tool, um, you can often hear the patterns coming, coming through. And only if those patterns really start to come through, uh, do you start, you know, do I, do I try to make it a, a really important topic of conversation? Now, that is not always in the negative. Because I have, I have gone into situations, I'm, think, I'm not name names, I'm thinking of one in particular, where there was a, a high degree of trust that was typically provided to the CEO in this case. Um, so she had earned a high degree of trust with many of her direct reports and many leaders across the organization. And, and in that situation, she was engaging in a, in, a, in a new strategic initiative in a way that was really testing that. It was really challenging it. Now, so you, had, so you had both things happening. So you had somebody who actually could, if she, would, if she would be thoughtful about it and intentional about it, she could actually leverage that high degree of trust that she had developed because, that, I mean, what an enormous asset. However, she was, now, she was now somewhat distracted by a new strategic initiative that caused her to, uh, to be putting that trust at risk. In that case, it was important to have the conversation because it was both things. It was you've got a tremendous asset here that you can be leveraging. Let's talk about how you can best leverage that. And some things are happening under your watch that are straining that. And that, that was also a topic of conversation. One of the questions that comes to mind as, as I'm listening is 
and you made you've made some reference to decision making and and the importance of trust in the speed of decision making um, and I think of organizations that spend just countless hours pondering decisions and in and trying to build consensus in in an environment of high trust is consensus still important or does high trust negate the need for taking those kinds of approaches to decision making yeah so it it varies a lot depending on the nature of what the organization is taking on and i and again you and i are talking primarily about situations where there's a there's a change afoot you know some some important strategic change is happening it's either being launched or it's being executed or we're in the latter the latter parts of that trying to ensure that the full benefits are realized but but i think primarily brian we're talking about an environment where where important changes are afoot so if we stay if we stay with that then um i think it still varies a lot because you may have a situation where uh, a particular key leader. So let's let's go all the way up the chain, and and whoever is that, that person that um, we might think of as the primary sponsor. So the person who actually could say go or no go. They could choose to stop the initiative. They could choose to to uh, to to provide or acquire greater uh, resources and funding and this kind of thing. And, and if we're if if that person has both the character and the competence to pull it off, then there may be key elements of that that are not really about consensus. So if people, if people believe that he or she really does get what they're trying to do and they have a track record of showing that they have earned the trust, remember both things, character and competence, and really we could add to that commitment. So they have the character to, to be trusted they have the competence, so the skill, the capability, the knowledge, the experience, the expertise to pull it off, and they have demonstrated the commitment. So they are sleeves rolled up, fully in on this thing. They're going to stop other things, slow down other things, reprioritize other things to ensure that it happens. They may not require a great deal of consensus. If you go to a situation where there's much more of a wow, we're all in this together and we're still kind of scratching our heads and we still have to figure it out and, and a lot of what we're trying to achieve is still not yet clear, then I think you've got a situation where the need for consensus uh, goes up, not because of a lack of trust in the traditional sense, but because the, the way in which the initiative is being led is different. So I think both things can be, both things can be good and at the same time, in either situation, a lack of trust is going to bring things to a, a kind of, it may not bring them to a grinding halt, but it's going to bring them to a grind, that's for sure. Stephen, I want to thank you so much. You've offered us so much uh, in terms of insights around trust, around the relationship between trust and executing change and, and being a change practitioner. As we wrap up, are there any last thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm probably repeating myself a little bit, Brian, but, but a couple of things that come to mind for me from, from really that practitioner perspective, you know, and one is, I know I've mentioned it, but this idea of, of character integrity, um, whether it is being reflective, so looking at yourself and, 
and asking yourself honestly about the level of character and integrity that you bring to the job or whether it's looking at the sponsor or sponsors that you serve, that's, that's huge. And it will have an enormous impact. If it's personal, then obviously you can begin to, to think about how you need to do some work to, uh, to fill that gap uh, and where it's the person that you serve. Um, you know, that's a huge red flag huge red flag. So you could get yourself into some really challenging situations. If, if you're not in service to somebody who can bring that kind of consistency in, in thought, word, and deed. You know, the other for me is one really around commitment, which we've also touched on. And, and I, was, I was looking over some of the notes from um, when, I, of course, I knew you and I were going to be talking. I was looking over some of, some of the notes from the sessions that I just, just completed in, in uh, my trip to Asia. And Around commitment, I had made a note to myself that was just a point I wanted to continue to think about and to share with others, which is don't accept a job that is greater than your level of commitment in that area. You may have the character, you may have the competence, you know, the experience, the expertise, but if you can't bring the commitment, uh, then don't take it. Don't take it. And I, I, you know, I loved a story and you may have to edit this out, Brian, for sake of time. <laughs> it was a senior executive I got to observe at a great, a great American company that you would know if I mentioned it. And uh, he had been with the company for a very long time, had done everything, and had worked up to the top of the senior ranks, but, would, but had decided to leave. And it was in the midst of a major business transformation effort. And I sat in on one of the sessions he was doing. He was going around meeting with different groups around the company. Everyone loved and respected him. And the short version of what he shared there was, he said, look, what we've taken on as a company is, is huge. It's incredibly important. It's going to set us up for our next decade of success. And I'm not going to stay for it. And he went on to say, essentially, I have the the wealth and the resources at this point in my life that I, I and other things that I care about, other things I'm interested in, that I want to go invest myself and invest my resources in some of those other things. And this is going to be great. You know, stick with it. You're doing wonderful things. You're building the future of this firm, but it's not for me right now. And what I took from that was this was a person who who had made a conscious decision not to fill a chair, that he had, the, he had the experience, the capability, the experience, the integrity to do that job, but he didn't have the commitment to it. And he made a conscious choice not to fill a chair where he actually needed someone with a whole different level of commitment. And uh, man, that stuck with me. And uh, wow, talk about it. Talk about, you know, a guy you could trust. Thank you again so much, Stephen. Absolutely, Brian. Always a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast with Managing Editor Brian Gorman. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. And we also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.